Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Educator Essentials, the podcast where we talk with our members about tricks and strategies to add faculty, preceptors, and those involved in the education of the pharmacy workforce. My name is Gina Galanou-Luchin, and today we will be chatting with Dr. Tara Sorjahan, Dr. Christine Watchin, Dr. Sonia Matthews, and Dr. Michael Wolcott about how to coach learners who did not match during the ASHP residency match find their professional path. Thank you everyone for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. This is a topic that affects most educators at some point in their career, having a learner who for some reason did not achieve their professional aspiration. And in this case, they didn't find a residency program. So before we dive into our content, why don't you share with our listeners your experience with pharmacy education and pharmacy learners, um, especially as it relates to those who are about to look for a residency program. Um, Sonia, how about you start us off? Thank you, Jamie, uh, for having me for this podcast. My name is Sonia Matthews, and I'm a critical care clinical pharmacy specialist at UTMD Health. As a clinical pharmacy specialist, I've had the privilege of precepting pharmacy students and residents for over 17 years now. In addition, I also serve as the adjunct faculty for Texas Southern University for about 12 years, where I've had the opportunity to provide didactic lectures, as well as mentor and train the next generation of pharmacists. I truly enjoy mentoring and precepting pharmacy students and residents. It really is the highlight of my career to be able to invest in the success of the next generation of pharmacists. That's awesome. A very long and successful career for our student trainees. Tara, how about you? Do you wanna say a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. I'd like to echo that. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited for this discussion. Um, I've been in academia for over 13 years. Currently, I'm an associate professor at Midwestern University College of Pharmacy, Glendale campus in Glendale, Arizona. And I'm the course director for a longitudinal lab-based course series in our required curriculum entitled Professional Skills Development. I'm also a board member for the Midwestern University's Clinician Educator Program. And within that program, I work closely with pharmacy residents in the state of Arizona by involving them in mentor teaching experiences within the course that I coordinate. So these experiences allow the residents the opportunity to practice the skills of evaluation and feedback while also being mentored by the process. Wonderful. So you have both the academia side and the residency side that will be very interesting to bring into the perspective. Kristen, do you want to share about your, um, your background a little bit? Yeah, thanks. I'm really excited to hear um, what others have to say and to be able to take those advice back to my uh, students as well. So I too am a faculty member. I've been at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy in Baltimore for 15 years and where I'll spend, I think, my entire career. Um, I have, I get to precept students and residents, um, students from our School of Pharmacy and residents from various different programs. So I find that just a, such a rewarding and um, interesting perspective. I've also been fortunate to have different residency administrative hats over the year. I'm currently serving as the coordinator for our PGY2 cardiology residency program. Um, and my practice site where I present my learners, uh, I have the privilege to work with the practice within the VA system and practice in outpatient cardiology. Awesome, yet another set of perspectives. So appreciate that. Michael, how about you? Yeah, my name is Michael Wolcott. I'm an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina Eshelman School of Pharmacy and also the UNC Adams School of Dentistry. I'm actually very surprised. I did not realize just the 
amount of experience across these individuals. I am actually very novice in this space. I have only been doing this for less than five years. Um, and so I uh, have done a variety of engagements with learners, mainly preparing them in the classroom for getting ready for residency applications and jobs with interviews and CVs. So that's where I predominantly have assistance as I help support them before this all occurs. And so that's really where I've had a majority of my experience, besides some experience that I have as both a resident and preceptor uh, in my earlier training. This is fantastic. We actually, I actually appreciate all the different perspectives. I think what we'll find is our audience may identify with some of our newer um, practitioners, some that may just dip their toe in academia or some that have been practicing for a long time. So really excited for our conversation today. So it's safe to say that between um, all of us, there's there's many, many years under our belts that we can lean on and, and coaching. So although our hope is that our mentees and our learners are always successful in their endeavor, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And that's why we're here today. So. There are many reasons that someone may not match, and that could be related to timing, it could be related to preparation, it could be even just the odds of the match. So let's kick it off by reflecting a little bit on your experience. So can you share with us a few instances that you recall one of your learners that had that happen to them where match day came and unfortunately it wasn't the happy results that we all expect um, and some of the reasons you think that happened to your learner. And Tara, we'll start off with you on this one. Sure, absolutely. I would say that really the primary reason that I see learners not matching is really their, they have fixed their mindset on where they exactly want to be geographically, um, or they've applied to incredibly highly competitive programs. So I see that that is really the most common reason because you know, they want to stay near family or they're limited um, to where they're able to go. So um, I think that's, that's to answer your question, I think that's um, probably the primary reason that I see. Yep. Those are good, good reasons for sure. Thanks for sharing. Kristen, anything to add? I definitely agree with Tara. I think we see our learners thinking of these larger institutions and really focusing on those more competitive programs. So I think that can create a challenge. The other thing I see is, right, there's definitely the odds with the match as well. Um, and unfortunately, as we know, there's not enough spots for residency training as the number of candidates each year. And especially like Tara mentioned, being if people are focused in a geographic area, if there's a lot of schools of pharmacy within that area, that can even make it more competitive for folks who are wishing to stay local um, in the area in which it, they trained. The other thing I think that sometimes can play a role is when folks are preparing for the interview process is really making sure that they can articulate to the program exactly why they wanna do residency training, why that specific program, because the program is also looking for someone who's gonna really wanna have a good match with them as well, right? They can help achieve that candidate's goals and that the candidate, they think the candidate will be fulfilled in that program. Great insights. I, I also, obviously the geography is so important that you, you both have brought on and um, I like the idea of painting a clear picture, right? Michael, uh, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think what's really surprising here is that we don't communicate this a lot to students of how often this can occur and also how close it is to them. That was one of the things I think was really surprising is I learned about one of our PGY2 residency directors uh, that I worked really closely with did not match in their initial process and became this really impactful and important person in our organization. And it's, it's 
hard to imagine that that happens. Um, I even had some misfortune when I was applying to PGY2 programs that I was having issues in terms of being able to successfully obtain interviews. And so we often forget that this occurs and we don't really share those stories a lot with, with our learners. And I think that's something that's really important. And to consider just sometimes luck has a lot to play with this. We, we forget that there are things about what's going on in our personal lives. If somebody has a sick parent or if they have other things that are going on, we've got the pandemic. I mean, these are all different factors that really feed into the process. And so acknowledging that is really what's, what's been most uh, important. And I think just sharing those stories. Great points, Michael. I think the personal, um, the personal experiences and what's going on in our personal life is so important to remember, right? You, you just never know, and it's important to share those stories. So thanks, thanks for that insight. Sonia, what about you? Thanks, Gina, for that question. As everyone said, um, they made really good points about various reasons why pr prospective candidates don't match. And it could be, again, you know, personal reasons, timing, preparation, and just the odds. And those are all very valid reasons that, uh, that we've seen for uh, students that don't potentially match. Um, for instance, with one of my students who I had the chance to mentor recently um, did not match for a residency. Um, and discussing this with the student, both him and I felt that the key reason for this was related to the fact that his decision to pursue a residency was made very late in the PharmD program. As a result, the candidate missed out on opportunities earlier in his PharmD program that would have strengthened his candidacy for the subsequent residency. As a preceptor, I've noticed that the evolution and practice of pharmacy in the last 15 years, the standards of excellence have continually grown to promote a patient care focus. Nowadays, it's common for students in the early years of the PharmD curriculum to use the opportunities to actively involved in not only professional organizations, but research projects and teaching opportunities to optimize patient care in our medication use system. In the case of my student who did not get matched, I would like to add that the student, even though um, he did not match for the program, he exhibited two key attributes that will help his success as a pharmacy resident. He exhibited a strong work ethic and motivation to learn the most he can from the rotation experience. In addition to his direct patient care responsibilities, he also volunteered to provide in-services to the pharmacy staff and also to the medical team. He also volunteered on many projects to optimize pharmaceutical care for patients at our institution. Unfortunately, even though he exhibited all these skills and abilities to successfully complete the residency, he did not match for the residency. That's a good point. I think it's important to remember too that timing sometimes is important, even though you may have a qualified individual that just maybe made that decision just a little bit too late for the for the program. So as you've all described, there's a myriad of reasons for not matching. And I think we could have even brainstormed further. We could go all day. And, you know, often those aren't necessarily related to the student's ability. So let's say um, that you find yourself in this situation. The learner finds out that the, on match day that they did not secure a position and they reach out to you for advice and next steps. What is your method for coaching them through processing this news and then helping them redirect their efforts for their professional pathway? Um, Kristen, we'll start off with you this time. Yeah, thanks. I think that's a great question. So I think that first thing is really important is to validate the feelings that the person may be ex expressing. This is something that they really built up for. So um, talking through that with them and really being mindful of the wording that we that we use with them so that they don't feel that we're diminishing how they feel at that moment. Um, once they're ready to talk about it, I talked about what their current 
experiences have been in pharmacy? What did they enjoy the most? We, I just went through this with a person that I know who did not match. And we talked about what work was the most meaningful. And that person was like, you know what? I really, they talked about a specific rotation. And they said, you know, if I don't match, here's where I, you know, not matching this year. Here's something that I can pursue in the meantime. And I think I've seen people in their careers, and I'm sure others who are joining us today have as well, right? They didn't match where they hoped to be, or maybe they didn't match at all. And then they turn out to find the most wonderful position and are able to grow within that institution or practice setting. And I'm a believer of everything happens for a reason. I won't always say that to the candidate because especially right after the match, that's most likely something that they don't want to hear at that point. But I think it's, it's helpful if, we can, if they can be open-minded and we can work through that with them over time. Um, and I think it's important to have those conversations with them every now and again versus like, hey, let's make a plan all at once in this period of time that you and I can meet together. We also talk about different parts of the country where they may be interested in going. And I think pharmacy is a small world as someone, everybody will always say. So I think that highlights the importance of making sure you get to know your preceptors and the faculty at your school, because I will reach out to folks who may live in that area to see if they have job opportunities that may be coming up so we can get a heads up to that learner if they're looking for an opportunity that first year. Um, and then I also talk about to them, you know what, if you, if, you decide that residency is what you want to pursue again next year, that what are some things that we could talk about working on to help build their CV over the next year? So staying involved with pharmacy organizations, picking up a project within their institution, right? And really giving them a lot of experience that can make them more ready for residency when they hopefully would be able to enter the next year. Thanks so much, Christine. This is such an empowering conversation to have with the learners, understand where they're at, acknowledge how they're feeling. And as you said, you know, let's pick up and help them find their next career path. Michael, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I really echo a lot of the things that, that Kristen said. And so, like I said, a lot of my perspective is usually trying to be on preparing for this before it actually happens. And so I think one of the things that we can do to think about uh, just in the event that this occurs, setting clear expectations with learners. I think that's one thing that we do a lot of when we prepare for CVs and the submission process and whatnot is just saying, what is the likelihood that this could happen? Just so there's an understanding that it is a possibility. It helps students really rationalize and understand that these are the potential outcomes. This is what I can control. This is what I can't control. Um, and I think it's really important that then if these things do happen, I, I completely agree about giving this space. I, I almost think of it as grieving. I mean, it, it's a it's a huge loss for some individuals. And then you immediately have to pick yourself up really quickly, move into a second phase of, of that process if you, if you are able to, and really make some tough decisions. And so, you know, I think a lot about about how to best prepare them to move quickly while also offering that space uh, to make sure that they can manage their emotions accordingly. I really love that perspective of really preparing them ahead of time. I think it's so important to prepare them, hey, this could be a possibility. You know, we don't want to think negatively, but let's have a plan B in mind and, and how we're going to establish a game plan. Sonia, what about you? Yeah, I would actually like to echo what um, the good points that uh, Michael and Kristen have said. It really is important for the preceptor to acknowledge the, the students' feelings of disappointment or grieving, as Michael has put it, and use that really opportunity to help them to move forward and to build the student back up and provide guidance and counsel 
to help them recover and move on from this event. I would encourage the student to pause and reflect on what has happened. And as a preceptor, if you feel comfortable, you can provide a personal example of the failure that you experienced in your career and or examples of students that you precepted who did not match for a residency and the steps that they took to reach their professional goals. Sharing personal stories of similar disappointment, if any, helps provide empathy and reassurance that failure need not stall the candidate's career goals, but instead could lead to new opportunities. It's also really important not to, to remind them to not give up hope and to be persistent in their professional goals. I would also, as Michael had echoed, come up with specific plan for uh, next steps, which can include um, such as participating in phase two of the match process if the student did not match for phase one. The student can also take time to reflect on their personal and professional goals for the next two to five years. And the student can also have the opportunity to update their CV uh, with review from their mentors and you as a preceptor on recent changes and additions uh, from the rotations that they have made uh, prior to their submission with the CV for the match. And I would always encourage the student to continue to stay involved professionally with your organizations and to look at the opportunities available for professional growth, as well as taking the time to reevaluate the references that was used to make sure that they also have a well-balanced set of references when going forward in the, in the pursuit of their residency. Yes, ensuring that all their materials are really up to as much excellence as they can get them to. And I like what you share about personal examples. It's so important to show them that this has happened to other people. This has happened to me or my colleague and everything turned out okay. I think that's, that's helpful as they're grieving through the process and um, trying to pick themselves up for the next stage. Tara, anything else to add? Yeah, I 100% agree. And just, you know, I think in this time, they start to feel like alone, you know, and, and sort of they can spiral down, like, you know, my life is not going the way I want it to be. And so I feel like being transparent as well, similar to what Sonia mentioned about um, kind of what you've been through in your career. And really, um, I think too, it's also necessary to even maybe for me, I would coach the learner to kind of step back a bit and really see is this is residency truly their passion or is that going to lead them to their passion and so um, kind of helping to, to foster grit in that learner and grit um, is really defined as a combination of passion and perseverance and really digging into is is this residency experience going to get them really to their ultimate um, purpose and trying to identify kind of digging in deep into these components of their interests. What do they really enjoy doing? So maybe taking a step back and reflecting a bit similar to kind of what Kristen and Michael talked about practice and moving forward. If, if they do want to pursue a residency, what are some ways they can conduct some deliberate practice in order to kind of improve on perhaps what they think they can in order to pursue a residency next year? And then what they're kind of digging in as well as to what, what does the learner feel like their ultimate purpose is? What do they, they really get passionate behind? And then hope and fostering hope in that individual um, that they can, you know, achieve their outcomes and then overcome those difficulties. And really just using this framework, I initially, I'll, I'll probe the learner to kind of reflect broadly on what their career goal is um, and help them 
to really determine their true passion. And if they do have that true passion and residency is that necessary step, then starting to achieve some measurable goals or or kind of outlining some next steps is kind of where I tend to, to go to. No, this is great. You're almost rebuilding their excitement and their passion for what they're wanting to do. So taking the disappointment and and kind of turning it around, really, really great approach. Thanks for sharing that. So I think we've all summarized it uh, very, very well, but the experience of net matching is overwhelming. I loved how Michael described it as a grieving process because to an extent it really is as they put a lot of effort in their application. It's a a long journey to get to even applying and interviewing um, just so to get negative results. So on the flip side, as you're helping them navigate past it, um, how do you help them regain confidence and find optimism? I think some of you mentioned some of your methodologies and I know Terry, you described it really well, but um, let's talk a little bit about kind of rebuilding them. And then at the same time, keeping them grounded and also keeping them realistic about what comes next. And Michael, I think you kind of touched on it. Phase two isn't really easy. It's a quick turnaround. You really have to pick up and go. Um, So what's the balance between being optimistic and being realistic? And Michael, I'll turn that on to you first. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this, rejection's hard, right? We've all been there. It happens to us all the time, whether it's just anything in life, professionally, et cetera. And so one of the things I think is really important here is the modeling that we do as educators in this space. And so there's actually an activity that I do a lot with learners and just myself. I keep what's known as a rejection resume. Um, And so this is something where I have it in a little back end of my notebook where I have all of the things that I have been rejected from. Um, And it's a way for me to say, see, these are all the things that that have happened to me uh, and how I've moved on from those things. So I think that's one thing is, is showcasing how we ourselves have moved through rejection. The other thing that you can do is you can actually have them go through a similar activity where they list what are some of the the difficult rejections or or failures that they've had in more recent times. And you can have them say, what is, what is the rejection itself? And then what are like the lessons that they've learned from each of those? And we do an activity where actually they put it on a piece of paper and they split it in half and they say, okay, well, which part do you want to keep? Or do you just want to throw away both of them? Or do you want to keep both of them? So that way you have record of these pieces. Uh, There are ways that can help people go through this cathartic process of understanding that this is an expectation. It's a part of of what we will experience as we move forward just in healthcare and in education in general. Um, And so it helps normalize the process. And I think those are the things that we can do is just helping model that and show them that there can be lessons in the process while moving through those feelings and those emotions in a productive way. I had not heard of a rejection resume before, but that's such a creative idea. Sonia, what about you? Thank you, Gina. Yeah, Michael, that, that's a great example about the rejection resume. I haven't actually um, heard of that either, but I think that that's a great way to help the student, especially when we're reminding them um, that, you know, the rejection is not a setback to, to be able to move forward from that and to let them know that their professional goals is not over. I would also make a point to just, uh, you know, spend time with the student and let them know that this is not a reflection of the student's uh, professional abilities, skills, or qualities as a person. Um, every year, there's, there's a, a high number of residency candidates who do not match due to the high volume of applicants for the limited number of available residency positions. And I think it's important just to remind the student that there's not just one pathway to reach your desired professional goal. The student can use the opportunity over the next year to professionally grow in their area of interest. For instance, if uh, students that I've precepted um, who are interested in a hospital setting Typically, my advice that I give to them that 
sometimes there could be saturation depending on the geographic area, that if there's no full-time openings, to take that opportunity and apply for any available PRM positions to at least get their foot in the door and gain valuable experience in the hospital setting. Also take the time to reach out to preceptors and mentors at that hospital for guidance and learning opportunities with projects that can help them to professionally grow. And they can also reach out to their faculty mentors from pharmacy school and volunteer on research projects to help them grow in their area of interest. Additionally, I would encourage students to also get and to continue to stay involved with organizations such as ACHP, which provide professional development, continuing education and certification resources. And upon licensure for pharmacy students, I encourage them to, as part of their professional growth, to gain certifications and knowledge base and competency in their areas of interest. Uh, for instance, ACHP has a certification course um, with one of my recent students who had an interest in diabetes. And upon his graduation, um, he has participated in that certification course to gain uh, knowledge base and skills in diabetes in the ambulatory care and inpatient care setting. That's a great point. Just reminding them that learning doesn't stop just because you reach your P4 year and continuing to build that CV. Tara, what about you? Yeah, so confidence and optimism is, again, as we kind of touched on, hard during this time. And so I feel that these two concepts can be fostered once you've kind of dug in deep and confirmed that the learner's interests, basically what they enjoy doing, and then their purpose, their belief um, that their work matters, those two things are in alignment. And so really kind of working with maybe even sitting down 15 minutes, um, encouraging the learner towards maybe verbal reflection and or journaling of these two concepts. So really, you know, listing out things that they enjoy, listing out their purpose, what they truly motivates them, um, why they pursue pharmacy, what, you know, how their, their goal is to help people in the future, you know, where they're, they feel like they're being directed. And once you kind of confirm that these two are in alignment, I feel that they can remain grounded and realistic through, as we talked about, kind of those deliberate practice strategies, their next steps, those small goals on um, where they're going to go, whether that be, as Sonia mentioned, kind of reaching out towards, so during that kind of gap year, reaching out to kind of see where they can go to help move the needle for them to be prepared for residency for the following year, and also strategies to gain hope that they can accomplish what they set out to do. So through the work of like growth mindset techniques or other, other ways that they can remain positive and optimistic to achieve you know, their set outcomes. That journaling idea is, is excellent. Again, and so many creative thoughts today. Thank you all for sharing. But yeah, putting it on paper sometimes helps them figure out what is their plan for the future and where do they wanna go? Love, love those examples. Um, Kristen, anything to add? Yeah, I, Tara, I love the idea of small goals, right? So we go through undergrad and pharmacy school. And even before that, right, we had elementary and high school. We had these big blocks of time, which we knew what we were going to be doing for our next group of years. So setting those realistic goals. And I like to share with people, I stayed at the university, my job has pivoted a lot. And I've had a lot of friends who've pivoted all over the years within their career as pharmacists. So we don't have to have it all figured out from day one. Um, I think a lot of it and helping them kind of get that optimism again, a lot of it is just listening and letting them know that they have someone who's going to be there to listen and support them. So I really like the use of 
reflective questioning, and then they can kind of build that optimism again on their own. We talk about feedback that they may have received from their preceptors or what, what and what skills and characteristics were highlighted along the way and how can we use that to help them navigate what next steps are going to be. Uh, and for those who are on social media, I love on match day this year, and I've seen it before, people on Twitter who talk about they didn't match and what happened in their career and is better than they could have ever imagined or the different failures, which I love how this group has talked about that because I think it helps validate what they hopefully ha validate how they are feeling that they failed and know that I think it was Tara who may have mentioned that they might feel alone in this process and they can may feel embarrassed even though they shouldn't, but that can help them, I would think, along the way as well. And I have to say, I had a student who recently shared how a preceptor contacted them after they didn't match. And the preceptor was like, okay, here's what I'm going to start doing to help you find a job. So I think that it's really great that the outpouring of support we see from our pharmacy community is just such a wonderful thing. That support system is so important. And it's a, it's a networking too, right? It's a networking opportunity as they prepare to enter the workforce and find their next employment. So if we can be there, that's really the, the most help we can provide. Great examples. I think we've talked, uh, we've touched a little bit on this, but we, we mostly have been discussing, okay, we have an excellent learner who maybe didn't match for several reasons. Here's what we can do to support them. But sometimes, as much as we love our learners and wish for their success, we recognize that there may be some deficits there that need to be corrected, whether it is in clinical knowledge or whether it is in their approach to finding a residency. So that is a really sensitive time, right? They, they didn't match, but we also have to help them get better. So how do you quickly and skillfully navigate supplying sensitive feedback to them for them to improve during such a such a sensitive time period. Sonia, let's let's start with you. Thank you, Junia. Yeah, that, that is definitely a sensitive question. It's not always easy to do, but really the important thing to keep in mind is, is to really not wait, but to provide that feedback to the student right away, especially something when you're providing sensitive feedback to the student. Um, you don't want to do that in, in a public sit, setting, but you want the student to feel comfortable and to provide that feedback in a private setting and also to have a planned follow-up to reassess the project. Um, the method that I usually like to use is the sandwich method, um, which basically can help be valuable in providing feedback uh, that may have sensitive content. Um, what I typically do is I first give an example of specific details of what they did well, followed by an area of improvement, and then provide specific SMART goals with the reassessment plan for the area of improvement. This is then followed by an area that I thought that the student did well to continue again to encourage them in their in their growth. It's a good example, maybe building them up a little bit, especially during this time and you know, sharing that improvement recommendation, but also with strengths that they can draw from. Um, Tara, anything else to add? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree. Sensitive feedback is difficult, but I think it can be mitigated by your delivery method as well as what your motivation is. So I feel like it's super important to be empathetic, but then also motivated, you know, towards this, the learner's success. Um, and so if you're motivated to foster growth, which I think we probably everyone listening, you're listening to this podcast because you're motivated to foster um, growth um, in your learner and also grit, 
Um, then honesty about what you perceive to be their strengths and areas of opportunity is key. Uh, Sonia mentioned the sandwich method, which is very you know successful. I, I also tend to use the um, start, stop, continue method. Perhaps what I could perceive that the learner could start doing, um, what they could stop doing, and then what they could continue doing. So ending it with that positive affirmation that there are things that they are doing well. And if you perceive that the learner, I think as well is overreaching in their short-term goals, perhaps they overshot, right? They went for a super competitive, then coaching them um, to help refine these goals to be more realistically attainable could also be helpful. Having them write those down and kind of coaching them through maybe um, refining those goals. Great point. Redirecting those efforts and, and helping them be successful. Very, very important. Kristen, what about you? Yeah, Tara talked about being honest. And I think when someone is coming for you and they're in this situation, they clearly value the opinion that you're going to give them and trust that you're going to help steer them in the right way. So while sometimes it might be might be hard to give that feedback or feel tough to do that. This person clearly is coming to you because they want to know how to improve and they want to hear from you. So again, I think it's like Tara said, it's all in the delivery and what we give. And so I will go through with folks, I'll go through their CV, their letter of intent to see how I can potentially help them to maybe call out more things on there or refine that. And one thing I mentioned earlier, I think where I see a lot of folks sometimes may struggle is really articulating why they want to do residency in the first place. So making sure that while they know it in their heart that they're communicating it clearly so that a program knows exactly what their intent is um, moving through for residency training. And then I'm a big fan of practicing residency mock interview questions and even things that we think about might be asked on any type of interview and providing that coaching as well. And if there's somebody who I think we need to have more practice with, I'll ask one of my colleagues if the student would be comfortable, if they could do that practice interview as well. Because I think, right, once we get in, we're, once we get in the door for an interview, the, res, the candidates are kind of all on that level playing field, again, because there's only a small group of them who got in for that interview. So how do they really allow themselves to shine and let their true personality show when they're on that interview? Because sometimes... Someone may turn into a different person on that interview and may not articulate themselves as well. I've definitely seen that with students that I've known. Um, when they come to interviews, I'm like, oh, you're not the person I know with that same passion. I'm not seeing the passion and drive that I know is there. So really helping them feel comfortable with that, especially those who didn't match, right? Their confidence is going to be knocked a little bit. So how do we help build that back up? through our practicing our interviews. So when it's ready to go back to that process again, if they're gonna pursue it for the next year or even what's the position that they're gonna pursue um, instead. That practical approach is so crucial. I think we can talk all day long, but until that student has had the opportunity to just play it out, um, yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, Michael, what about you? Yeah, I think about uh, when providing feedback in general, the first thing, whether this is with partners, with friends, with whomever, is usually, are they even ready for it? I think especially immediately after a rejection, we have to 
pause. And like I talked about with the, with the grieving process, I often ask questions, you know, are we discussing or are we deflecting or um, more recently, I really like somebody used, are we pausing or are we problem solving? Um, because in some cases, some people, they need a moment. They need to talk about it first before we launch immediately into problem solving mode, because that's often what we want to do is we just immediately want to resolve the issue. Uh, and sometimes people aren't ready for that. When people are ready for that next step, Typically, I try to do some sort of self-assessment, ask questions of thinking about, well, well, what do you think happened? Were there specific reasons why you think this might have occurred? What were what were things that you might have noticed? Did anybody else provide you specific feedback? Because a lot of times, individuals can usually pick up on the things that you want to provide that feedback for. And so offering them that space helps in that process and then allows you to move forward. Um, you know, somebody uh, brought up or in, several individuals brought up about the sandwich method. Um, I think one thing that's really important about the sandwich method is moving beyond that that initial sandwich and actually providing plans of how do we move forward because often we can we can ignore what's in the middle we don't like what's in the middle and so sometimes we forget that there's a piece there of what we need to move forward from and so making sure that to enhance that engagement we add pieces of like well what are the next steps what is it that that you need how can i help you um and really assisting in that in that process and supporting them and and anytime you do provide feedback saying you know, I'm sharing this because I know you're capable and this information is intended to help you. We have research that says just adding that little statement actually really helps people be responsive to the feedback. And so that can help encourage the growth mindset, the grit, the things that we've been talking about. Yeah, that opens them up, opens them up to say, okay, I, this is not good, but I'm capable of doing it. So great, uh, great statement there. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so this has all been very helpful. All of you have had four extremely valuable perspectives that I really appreciate. But as we're coming here to closing our podcast, I did want to ask for some resources that you have used to help learners or help yourself in the process of helping learners. Um, I'm sure our listeners are eager to kind of go on and, and read some more or do some more digging and researching. So any well-being boosters or career search tools or anything go to that you use for your learners. Tara, we'll start with you. Sure, absolutely. I mean, there's so many great resources, but to just name a few for well-being, um, I would suggest Angela Duckworth's work on grit. Um, there's some great, she has a great TED Talk um, on grit and so interesting. I, that'd be a great go-to, Angela Duckworth. And then Carol Dweck's, um, as Michael referred to her work, and we've been talking about growth, growth mindsets, huge, huge for our learners. Um, for professional development, um, one really cool tool um, is the Habits of Preceptors rubric. Um, and it can be found online. It's habitsofpreceptors.org. This is a cool kind of objective rubric um, to help identify and describe habits of successful pharmacy preceptors and really provides a framework to assess these habits for targeted development and growth. So while I think you have a learner just being rejected from a residency, this rubric's gonna be way overwhelming, probably not the best time, but maybe as they've kind of progressed forward throughout that year and they're um, now they've kind of gotten over it and they're working towards their goal of maybe pursuing a residency the following year or other, goal, other professional goals, this might be a great go-to resource to point them to to help them kind of target and identify ways to continue and foster growth in their house. Great recommendations. I'll add those uh, to my book list too. So thanks for that. Yeah. Kristen, anything else? 
Yeah, one of my favorite books that I read in recent year was Off Balance by Matt Kelly. I think we talk so much about the terms work-life balance, but this book really talked about personal and professional satisfaction. And it was just such a game changer for me and being okay with um, the decisions I make and how to make those decisions throughout my um, career. Other things that I think are really important, we talked a lot about your network of individuals. And sometimes this might, we might have to step outside of our comfort zone for this, but if you are in the search for a position, share your CV with friends, classmates, former preceptors, other pharmacists that you may know, and let them know that you are in the search for a position. Sometimes I think that, you know, a position may not be posted, but may, like we talked about might be available or they're like, hey, you know what, I could use an extra person right now. And if somebody's coming with a really good recommendation, I think it's also time, good for us to step away and find other things that we're passionate about to pick up a hobby or something else that's going to let allow us to feel relaxed and accomplished um, throughout our day versus our typical when we're thinking about our careers. And then the last thing I think that has been really helpful for my career and in taking on things that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise is the people, trust in the people who trust in you. I think they know what we are capable of more than we may know it. Even if you don't think you might be ready to take on that challenge, they oftentimes know us better than we know ourselves. So listen to them. Um, and so they may have ideas of a position you may wish to explore. So I think keeping that open-mindedness can be really valuable. Great points there. And one more book from my list. So thanks, guys. Michael, anything else to add? Well, you know me. Um, if anybody knows me at all, I read a ton. I love books. So you're going to get a lot more book recommendations now. So I, I completely agree with the books that have already been recommended. Also, I would suggest anything basically by Brene Brown. We'll talk about vulnerability, failure, always useful, and I think should actually be like required reading for anybody in life, period. Those are great books. Now, don't, this is something, something was brought up earlier about everything happens for a reason. There's actually a really great book by um, Kate uh, Bowler called Everything Happens for a Reason, Other uh, Lies I Love. She studies theology at Duke and she really explores how things happen to people and how we approach them and the ways and things that we say about it. And it actually provides this really unique perspective about sayings and whatnot. So it is, it's a great book. I have really thought about the way that I phrase a lot of the things I do whenever I approach these types of situations. Um, so I definitely encourage that. There's another book called There's No Good Card for This, which is basically about how to how to talk about all the hard stuff in life with other people. It's like an illustrated book. It's really, really great. Um, so that's another one that I'd recommend. So those are basically I'm, I'm a huge book fan. And so I think that's the way that we can engage with others. And then even having those things ready, like uh, for when it happens or having a book club for these types of moments can be really useful as a way to also connect with each other in part of those discussions. I knew I could rely on you guys for some some good material. <laughs> Sonia, what else what else do you got for us? I, th I think there's a lot of great resources that have been mentioned, but now that we're on the book topic, I'd also like to suggest for preceptors the ASHV Student Residency Guide, also the ASHV Career Transitions websites, as well as the career planning website that I typically um, refer students to look at. And for a well-being booster, um, especially in light of this COVID-19 pandemic, um, I like to use meditation apps such as Headspace. 
Thank you for mentioning this, Sonia. Yes, I think there are some uh, really great resources on ACHP for both our learners and for preceptors as they're looking to um, kind of connect students with resources. So absolutely great suggestions. So thank you everyone for all your contributions. This has been so enlightening. It's so helpful to learn from others and how they handle unmatched candidates, but also um, helping learners continue to grow in their professional journey. If you have not before, for those listening, I encourage you to check out all of ACHP's educator resources. You can find member exclusive offerings such as the Preceptor Toolkit, the Research Resource Center, and exchange ideas with peers on ACHP Education Connect community. Thank you again for tuning in for this session of Educator Essentials, and we hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to ACHP Podcast through your favorite podcast provider. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.